Hey everyone, this is The Fullest, a new podcast all about what it really means to live life to the fullest. How it's not what we might think, how it's definitely not what we've been sold, and how it's better than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine in Jesus. So if you want to know what it really means to thrive and flourish in this life, you're in the right place. I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited to go after it with you. Welcome back to The Fullest. My name is Ben Davey, and I'm not only the host of this podcast, but I'm also a pastor at a church called Life Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the reason I bring that up is because our mission at the church is to help people experience and enjoy life in Jesus. And that's really the passion of my life, uh, because I think it's why Jesus came to earth, so that we might experience and enjoy life and life to the fullest, both here and now and for all eternity. And so this podcast is really an overflow of the work that we're doing as a church and this journey that we're all on as we grow in our experience of Christ. And I just want to start off today by thanking you so much, uh, really to every one of you who has listened, shared, commented, uh, given feedback. You guys have been super encouraging and your feedback has been really helpful and, and it really does mean a lot. And so thank you. Uh, let me just say, uh, if you if you want to connect, uh, if you're listening to a podcast and you hear something that maybe you want to discuss in more detail, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook at The Fullest Podcast, or you can send me an email at thefullestpodcast at gmail.com. And I really would love to connect with you uh, and, and talk about this stuff, because like I said, this is the passion of my life and uh, not just growing in my understanding of what it means to live life to the fullest, but helping other people in their journey as well. So all of these episodes uh, so far have been conversations I've had with guys who have helped me in my journey into the good life and who've helped me uh, form my own vision of what it means to flourish and thrive. And we've got some more of those conversations lined up in this season, season one. Um, but today I'm, g- I'm going to be riding solo and uh, some of these episodes are going to go back and forth uh, between me just being by myself and me having conversations with other guys. And so uh, I'm going to be sharing stuff that I've read, stuff that I've experienced, um, just different things that I've been growing in. And, and I'm going to keep them relatively short, I hope. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, with all that being said, I hope that this is helpful. I hope it's encouraging for you. And uh, again, I hope this time together helps you uh, grow in, in your understanding of what it means to live life and life to the fullest. Today, I really want to talk about contentment and satisfaction. Uh, I want to talk about the endless cycle of want. I think that this is probably one of the most significant aspects of the good life is finding some sense of contentment or peace where we feel like uh, life is being lived the way it should be, where we're at rest or, or peace. And we don't have this sense of, of striving or longing or craving for something that's still somewhere out there. Uh, and uh, it's almost this unattainable 
thing that if we could just get that, then we'd be happy. But the good life is really a sense of ah, deep breath. Um, I'm at peace. I'm at rest. And this is, this is what it's all about. That's what we're, we're going after. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the endless cycle of want. Um, several years ago, a group of psychologists actually got together and did a study to find out how much money people would need to earn in order to be happy. Uh, so they got a group of people together and they asked them, how much money would you need to make every year in order to be satisfied? And I want you to just stop for a minute and, and think about how, how you would answer that question. How much money would you need uh, to make every single year in order to be satisfied, to not need any more money? You know, as you might expect, uh, the answers are all over the place and just about everyone had a different number. Uh, but what was so fascinating to me about this study and the reason I bring it up and the reason I want to start this conversation about cycles of want with it is no matter how much the subjects differed in their responses, one outcome was always the same across the board. And that was the fact that every single one of them wanted to make more than they were currently making. So people who are making $30,000 a year were convinced that if they could just make $50,000 a year, then they would finally have enough to be happy. But then the problem was that the people who were already making $100,000 a year said that they need just $250,000 to be happy. But then the problem with that was that even the super wealthy still wanted to make more as well. One man who made $500 million a year was convinced that if he could just get to a billion, then he'd finally have enough and wouldn't need any more. I was listening to the Happiness Lab with Lori Santos, and, and she had Clay Cockrell on there, who's a therapist that works primarily with the super wealthy, which is the 1% of the 1%. And Clay Cockrell is basically saying that he found in his study and all of his sessions that the super wealthy aren't any happier or any more content than the rest of us. They struggle. They don't sleep at night. Their relationships stink. Um, they have problems. They feel trapped and they, and they don't know why. Uh, there's so much unhappiness. And so they think that maybe the problem isn't the money. Maybe the problem is that they need a little bit more. We believe that more money will lead to more happiness. And so everyone constantly wants more. But what if that belief is actually a myth? What if the more you get, the more you actually want? What if satisfaction is always on the other side of just a little bit more? Now that is a big question. And it's a big deal because if you think about our society, our entire economic system is built on always wanting a little bit more. It's this never-ending cycle of consumerism. In 2012, the Atlantic pointed out how over the past hundred years, we have turned yesterday's uh, luxury items into today's necessities. Uh, and I thought this was pretty funny. If you just think about you know, all of the things that you desperately need, like your smartphone and your your iPad and, and whatever your tech is. But in 1900, uh, less than 10% of families owned a stove or had any access to electricity or phones. In 1915, less than 10% of families owned a car. In 1930, 
Less than 10% of families owned a refrigerator or washing machine. In 1960, less than 10% of families owned a dishwasher, color TV. In 1975, less than 10% of families owned a microwave. And then in 1990, less than 10% of families had a cell phone or access to the internet. Now, the article, the reason I even bring it up is that it concluded with this really profound statement. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, today, at least 90% of the country has a stove, electricity, car, fridge, washing machine, color TV, and a cell phone. They make our lives better. They might even make us happier, but they are never enough. They're never enough because satisfaction is always on the other side of just a little bit more. But this isn't what it means to live life to the fullest. In fact, one of the most important aspects of the good life, as I've already mentioned, that Jesus came to bring us into is this deep-seated contentment and satisfaction. Throughout the Bible, we see all kinds of different examples of this. There's the woman at the well who had been married to five different guys and who was cohabitating with a sixth guy. She represented someone who was looking for satisfaction in love and in romance and Uh, And then Jesus offers her this living water, this kind of water that gushes up from within her and satisfies her soul. And and then you think about the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul is an example of someone who chased his own education and power and position, but then who found a, a satisfaction and contentment in Christ that made all of that other stuff look like garbage. And so you have, um, these different examples of people who had chased satisfaction and all these other things, but then found something better in Christ. And then you have the psalmist David, who's probably um, my favorite character in the whole Bible outside of Jesus. And in Psalm 23, he sings, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I think that's a, a Psalm that most people are familiar with, but in the Hebrew, it literally means I want no more. It's another way of saying that somehow his shepherd has ended the endless cycle of his want. And so when he says, I shall not want, what he's really saying is, I'm so satisfied with my God and I'm so content with my lot in life that I don't long for anything else. Guys, that's what happiness looks like. That's what life to the fullest looks like. But if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, I I think most of us would say we have never really experienced that in real time in a lasting way. Why is that? Why does it seem like we're stuck? Why why is it that we can't get off this endless cycle of want? Um, I, I think there are two really big reasons for this. But since I'm trying to keep these solo episodes relatively short, I'm just gonna talk about one uh, today. But I think um, the first reason that we're stuck in this endless cycle of one is the fact that we're convinced that our, our greatest needs in life are physical. I think we're convinced that our deepest longings in life are material. Where you could say it another way, I think that our, uh, we're convinced that our biggest problems in life are external. And there's a story in, in John 6 that I think paints this picture really well because it runs parallel with Psalm 23. It's this famous story where, where Jesus feeds a crowd of about 20,000 people. According to some scholars, it's 5,000 men. But then 
when you had the women and children, it's a lot more. And he feeds this entire crowd by multiplying crackers and sardines basically out of nothing. And, and then he shows them in this miracle that he is the good shepherd that David was singing about all of those years ago. And I'm not going to go into super uh, deep uh, historical context here, but just to show you how it runs parallel with Psalm 23, he makes the people lie down in green pastures on that hill. He restores their souls. He he calms their fears. John the Baptist has just been executed. They are they're really scared. Um, he prepares a banquet for them in the presence of their enemies. He makes them so much food that their baskets overflow. So basically, what he's doing is he's showing that he is the shepherd that David was singing about in Psalm 23. What's really fascinating, and I don't know if, you, if you've ever studied any of the, the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, but there are actually these two prophecies, one in, in Jeremiah 23 and then one in Ezekiel 34. And these prophecies promise that God would send a good shepherd from heaven to be for his people what David had been singing about. And so this feeding of, you know, 20,000 people or whatever is all about that. Jesus is showing that he's the good shepherd that David was singing about. He's the good shepherd that the prophets were looking forward to that would one day come down from heaven and satisfy the longings of their souls. But what's really fascinating and what's really revealing about this massive crowd of people is that Jesus's miracle wasn't enough. It didn't satisfy them. Unlike David in Psalm 23, who wanted no more, this crowd had come face to face with the good shepherd and still were discontent. And so they ask him for another sign. They ask him for more miracles. They want more food. They want more healings. They want more wonders. They want more power. And so their endless cycle of want hadn't been cut off. By the amazing miracle they just witnessed, it had only grown stronger. And I think the big question is, why was that? What was the difference between David's experience of the Good Shepherd and this crowd's experience of the Good Shepherd? Why was one man left wanting no more and this multitude left unsatisfied? In this story, Jesus actually gives us the answer, he, he, he gives this incredible speech where he tells us why, and I'm not going to read it um, for this podcast. If you want to check it out, definitely do it. But verse 26 basically sums it up. He says, I tell you the truth, you are seeking me not because you saw signs or what the signs were pointing to, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, they weren't interested in the fact that prophecy was being fulfilled and that their Messiah had finally come to save them and satisfy them. They just wanted more food. They didn't see their internal needs and their spiritual needs as that significant, and so they didn't see what the sign was pointing to, and they only saw what the sign did. So another way to put it is they cared more about their physical hunger than they cared about their spiritual hunger. They, they cared more about their stomachs than they cared about their souls. They were convinced that the biggest problem in their lives was their lack of food. And so they thought that if Jesus could fix that problem, if he could just keep on giving them food, then they would be satisfied. I think if we're being honest, this is where most of us are today as well. 
we have all of these physical needs and material desires and external problems, whether it's our bank account or our boss or our health or our living situation or whatever, and we go to God with these prayers and we're convinced that if he just gave us what we wanted, if he just gave us that one thing, then we wouldn't want anything else. But is that how happiness and contentment work? No, it's, it's, it's actually not because our deepest needs aren't physical. Our greatest desires aren't material and our biggest problems aren't external. They're actually internal and they are spiritual. What's really amazing to me is that the science is actually starting to prove this. Um, I think this is so beautiful. Uh, the, the incredible and ironic thing about the study of the physical world is that it keeps proving over and over again that happiness and contentment cannot be found in the physical world. Sebastian Younger, who's an award-winning journalist and filmmaker and uh, who's also an atheist, makes this point in his book, uh, Tribe, which was probably the best book that I read last year, one of them. He wrote this, Numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society, despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history. Listen to this, because this, this just blew me away. As affluence and urbanization rise in a society... Rates of depression and, and suicide tend to go up rather than go down. Rather than buffering people from clinical depression, increased wealth in a society seems to foster it. So according to a global survey by the World Health Organization, people in wealthy countries suffer depression at as much as eight times the rate they do in poor countries. So all of these scientific studies are showing us that material things, and specifically the ones that we think are going to bring us true happiness, like increased wealth and technology, actually lead to greater depression and anxiety. On top of that, in 2015, the George Washington Law Review surveyed more than 6,000 lawyers and found that conventional success, like high billable hours or making partner at the law firm and so on, had zero correlation with levels of happiness and well-being reported by the lawyers themselves. In fact, public defenders who had much less status, made much less money than corporate, corporate lawyers, seem to lead significantly happier lives. So again, these things that we think are going to bring us true happiness, status, clout, making partner at the law firm, have zero impact on our happiness and well-being. And so Sebastian Younger concludes, and I, and I quote, bluntly put, modern society seems to emphasize extrinsic values over intrinsic ones. And as a result, mental health issues refuse to decline with growing wealth. In other words, according to the science, none of the things we think will lead us to happiness and contentment actually do. This is why Jim Carrey said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of. 
so that they would know it's not the answer. That's why Tom Brady said after winning a bunch of Super Bowls and making a ton of money, marrying a supermodel, getting super famous, he still felt like there had to be something more to life. He still wasn't satisfied. He was still going around the cycle of want like a hamster spinning around on its wheel. Our deepest needs aren't physical or material. They're spiritual and they lie beneath the surface of our physical bodies and our true selves. And so intrinsic needs like meaning, freedom, community, glory, love, and on and on are so much more important than extrinsic needs like health, money, power, and status. And so the first reason I think we have a hard time finding true contentment and the first reason I think we're still stuck on this endless cycle of want is that we're trying to solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. We're trying to satisfy an internal longing with an external remedy. In other words, we're chasing happiness in all the wrong places. We are just like that crowd that encountered the good shepherd that had seen an incredible miracle but still wanted more. We're looking for food when deep inside our longing is for freedom. We're chasing money when what our souls are craving is meaning. We're working ourselves to death for status when what we need more than anything is salvation. That's what David understood. And that's what the crowd missed. They were looking for another handout when what they really needed was to be healed. And maybe that's where some of you are today, even as you're listening. And I know I struggle with this too. And maybe that's why we're stuck in the, in the endless cycle of want. We need to stop looking to the physical to satisfy the longings of our souls. Maybe that's why Jesus came to earth to do what nothing else on earth could do, to get beneath the surface, to get to the root of the problem, which could never be solved by money or power, or fame or success or even sex. It could only be solved, could only be satisfied with himself. We're gonna explore that a lot more in this podcast, um, but hopefully that whets your appetite just a little bit. Hopefully it helps you uh, grow in your understanding of what it means to live the good life. Maybe it sheds some insight into who you are as a person. No matter where you are, I hope this time together today has helped you grow in your understanding of what it means to flourish and thrive. And I hope it helps take you deeper into life and life to the fullest. I want to just thank uh, Jonathan Perez, who's uh, producing this podcast now, and also Evan King uh, for composing our music. Uh, again, if you liked it, if this was helpful for you, please actually like it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and, and subscribe and share and be greatly appreciated. Have a great day, and I'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.